Have you ever gotten lost? Now, as a man, you may never admit it, but the reality is we've all gotten lost, right? Maybe you're in a strange city and you get turned around and you discover that you're lost or maybe you decide to take the family camping and you go on a little hike and you can't remember how to get back and you're lost. But I think we all get lost. In fact, you know where I get lost? Parking lots. I'm not kidding you. If it weren't for Laura, I would have been wandering around a parking lot in Disney World for the past 10 to 12 years with my key fob pushing it, hoping the horn would eventually blow. So that I, I mean, there's trunks going open all over the place. Like, it's like Satan's around there. But you know, try my best to find my car. But we all get lost. But this is what's interesting. There's a big difference between getting lost and being lost. I mean, when you're getting lost, you don't know you're lost, right? You don't know you're getting lost. You're just zipping along the freeway, windows down, wind in your hair, if you have it, music playing not a care in the world. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm lost, right? And there are several things I think that contribute to us getting lost. First of all, bad directions. You know, maybe somebody draws you a bad map or they just write down the wrong directions. And then, you know, you can have good directions, but you don't follow them. I mean, you know, that little girl on your phone or in your car says turn left and you just ignore her. You go straight ahead and you get lost. Or maybe, maybe, you know, you're just not paying attention and maybe you get distracted by something or by someone, but all of a sudden you realize that you're lost. By the way, isn't it interesting that self-assurance and confidence is no insurance against getting lost? And I say that and it's important because see, I think a lot of us think since I'm so self-confident, since I am self-assured, I know how to get to where I want to be in life. Life, There is no way that I am going to get lost. But think about this, you can get lost in pretty much every arena of life. For example, you can get lost morally. I can't tell you how many times people have sat in my office and said, you know, I used to have morals. I had standards. I had convictions. There was a line in the sand that I was never going to cross, but I crossed it. And often I hear, I don't know how I got here, right? You can get lost morally. You can get lost professionally. I mean, you can decide early on in life what you want to do with your life. You can go to the best school. You can go to graduate school, get the graduate degree. You can sign up with the right company. And then one day you find yourself in the mailroom. You're like, how'd that ever happen? Well, you, you, you got lost, right? You can get lost emotionally. You can get lost spiritually. You can get lost relationally. You can certainly get lost in your marriage. I mean, there's a couple here this weekend. They got married last night and they're in church today. I said, what is wrong with you? but they're not leaving on their honeymoon to tomorrow, right? But I guarantee you, as they shared those vows last night, they know where they're going and they're confident they're gonna get there. But so often in our marriage, we look around and we're like, how did we ever get here and we're lost? And what's interesting is this, every one of those journeys that I just mentioned, they begin with a sense of self-assurance and confidence. But I gotta tell you, self-assurance and confidence is no guarantee in any realm of life that you will not get lost. And so what we're going to talk about over the next few weekends is this. What does it look like to be lost in your personal finances? And again, let me tell you why we need to talk about this topic. If the statistics are true, more than two-thirds of Americans are lost when it comes to their personal finances. In other words, there's this sense of, I'm not exactly sure where I am financially. I'm not exactly sure where I'm supposed to be financially. I'm not sure that I'm moving in the right direction financially. I'm not sure I'm going to have enough when I need it financially. By the way, as you get older, you think more about that, don't you? As you think about retirement. Uh, This weekend, I had the opportunity to speak uh, at the North Carolina Fatherhood Conference. And it was the largest gathering of African-American fathers in the country. And I had the honor of speaking there. And one of the individuals that I got to speak with was Beyonce's dad. 
Matthew Knowles. And so we were hanging out, we were hanging out between sessions. And I said, Mr. Knowles, I would like to ask for Beyonce's hand in marriage. I said, because see, if something happens to Laura and something happens to Jay-Z, I need a good retirement plan. This could be my backup retirement plan, right? You gotta have a plan. You know what he said? I wish you'd have met her before Jay-Z, but that's a whole nother conversation and a whole nother time, right? But we begin to worry about that as we get on. Now, here is the good news. Here's the good news. Of all the areas of life, our personal finances should be the easiest area not to get lost in. And because there should, no be, there should be no mystery whatsoever when it comes to our money. Love is a mystery. Would you agree? Relationships can be a mystery. Your professional life can be a mystery. You can do everything the right way, become a, an executive vice president in a company. Before you know it, you're acquired by someone else and all of a sudden you're unemployed. Even your professional life can be a mystery, but there should be no mystery when it comes to our money because you know how much is coming in and you send it wherever it goes. By the way, let me just say this, as you're gonna see in this series, this has nothing to do with how much money you make. Because I'll tell you right now, you can be lost with a little bit of money and you can be financially lost with a whole lot of money. In fact, let me just say this and I'll go ahead and upset you. If you make over $67,000 a year and you're feeling as a household and you're feeling significant financial pressure, you may be lost in your finances. You say, Mike, why in the world would you say that? Well, think about it this way. The median household income in the U.S. is $53,000. So if you have a household income of about $53,000, you're right smack dab in the middle of our country. You're just about as average as you can be. If you have a household income of $67,000, you're in the top 25% of the richest people in the United States. If you have a household income of $100,000, you're in the top 20% of the richest people in America. That means that 80% of the people in America make less than you, which I think makes you rich. And maybe you didn't know that. In fact, you may wanna go home this weekend and call all of your relatives and say, I went to church this weekend and found out I was rich. Anytime you need some money, just call me. You may not wanna do that, but that's one approach you could take. But think about this, and this is not unusual as I throw these numbers out, especially in the triangle. If you have a household income of $154,000, you're in the top 5% of the richest people in the United States. That means you are filthy rich. That means you have more money than you could possibly spend in your lifetime. But see, that's just in the United States. If you look at it globally, I doubt that there's a person listening to me this weekend at any of our campuses who isn't rich. I'll give you some perspective. Our Agape campus is located in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. The average annual household income is $1,300 a year. That means they live on $108 a month. I don't think you could raise a family for that in the triangle, but this is what I want you to hear. If you have a household income, an annual household income of $31,400, you're in the top 1% of the richest people on the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. Why should the richest people in the world have financial pressure? Why should we of all people feel like we can't make ends meet? Why should we feel like that we don't have enough? I mean, you take our income, we go anywhere else in the world. Guess what? We are extraordinarily wealthy. If people found out what we made, they would say, you make how much in one year? They would probably say, man, if I made that much money, I would give half of it away. So where does this pressure come from? And again, this may offend you, but most of our financial pressure is artificial pressure. And some of you are thinking, hey, my, whoa, Mike, it ain't artificial. It's real. No, no, it's artificial. 
As Americans, think about this. We have created a lifestyle that creates artificial pressure that feels real. See, I gotta lease a new car every two to three years. I have to have my lawn maintenance company. Everybody else on the block has one. I have to have seven TVs and enough cable and satellite to get 400 channels on every one of those TVs. I have to have my kids involved in at least 12, 13, 14, 15 events, regardless of how much it costs, regardless if our bank account is bleeding and going cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. But my point is, as Americans, we have created a lifestyle that creates artificial pressure that feels real, and as a result, we're financially lost. As a result, for many, two-thirds of Americans, financially upside down. And so we're gonna talk about how to overcome that lostness over the next few weeks. And let me tell you why this is so important. It's because, as I said last week, and you cannot be, you cannot be, it is impossible to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and stay financially lost. It is impossible. And I say that because Jesus said so much about money. In fact, think about this. Jesus said more about money than he said about salvation, heaven, and hell combined. In fact, this is one of the things that Jesus said, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now understand, this isn't a principle. This is actually an indictment. Where your treasure goes, Jesus says, that's where your heart is going to follow. And if this is an indictment, and if it's true, it means that wherever we're sending our money as it comes in, our emotions, our energy, our attention follows. See, that explains why if you invest in a stock, you buy a stock, what do you do? You check on it several times a day. Do you know what's happened? All of a sudden, a little piece of your heart has become attached to that stock. And now you're emotionally and financially connected to that company. You may not even know what the company does. It may have absolutely nothing that it does that benefits you personally. But now all of a sudden you are emotionally and connected with that company. And so Jesus comes along and you understand why he says, how are you gonna give me the, your whole heart if your heart is attached to an area of your life, your finances, where you're lost? Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And we would expect that to say, you cannot serve God and the devil. But Jesus comes along and he says, the opposite of serving God is serving money. And his point was this, your heart and your money are linked. Understand the number one thing that God has to compete with in our lives is our money and it's our stuff. And so Jesus comes along and says, listen, if you're going to follow me, that financial part of your life, it's got to come along with you. You've got to surrender that area of your life also. Let me share another verse. This is an interesting verse. Proverbs 22, verse seven. The rich rules over the poor. We would probably agree with that statement. And the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Not God's slave, the lender's slave. In other words, God is saying this. He's saying that as long as we are lost financially, we cannot serve him wholeheartedly because see, we're a slave to a company. We're a slave to a bank. We're a slave to a lending institution. We're a slave to Macy's. We're a slave to Target. We are the lender's slave. I mean, no wonder Jesus had so much to say about money, but understand Jesus isn't interested in getting our money. 
Jesus is interested in getting our heart. In fact, there's only one place in the entire New Testament where Jesus asked for anyone to give him money. And it's because he was telling a story and he needed an illustration. And he said, hey, does anybody have a coin that I can borrow? I'm telling you, my point was he wasn't trying to get people's money. He was trying to keep people's money from getting them. And I think every one of us knows what it, what it feels like to have our personal finances or maybe our debt get us. And we are now a slave. Well, God says, I want to set you free from that. See, and it's because God knows that money, and you need to understand this, money is a spiritual issue. And deep down inside, we know that money is a spiritual issue. We may not pray about anything else in our life, but we'll pray about our finances. We'll pray about our money. In fact, I'll guarantee you this. If you woke up tomorrow and discovered that you had lost everything, you would pray, God, help me. God, bless me. God, do something in the area of my finances. God, provide for me. And you might even say, because now you're vulnerable because you've lost everything. God, I just want to surrender everything to you. And of course, you don't have anything to surrender anymore. So that makes the prayer a little bit easier. In fact, God must be thinking when we pray things like that, wow, that must be a big sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice everything you have to me, but you don't have anything to sacrifice anymore. Why weren't you willing to do that? when things were going great financially. And you know what our response to God would be? Well, it's because things were going great financially, see? My point is this, even if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, you would pray if you lost everything. You would say, God, now I'm interested in you getting involved with the financial part of my life. And since we would do that if we were in financial trouble, here's the challenge, why don't we just invite him in now? Why don't we just get him involved in our finances now? Because I'm telling you, when you get to the place where you're willing to allow God to invade the financial part of your life, when you get to the place where you're willing to let God become the Lord of your finances, you will realize something for the first time so spiritual in your life that you will say, wow, these two things are linked. These two things are connected. So I understand my purpose for this series is Jesus' same purpose for this series. This may be the only thing that me and Jesus have in common, but it's this. It's not that I want something from you. As we go through this series, I want something for you. First, I want you to surrender every area of your life to God. Let me tell you something. I know that when our marriage is in trouble and we don't have any solutions and we can't find the answer, do you know what we do? We go to God and say, God, I can't fix this. I'm just going to surrender it to you. I know that often when our children become teenagers and they're out of control and we don't know what to do with them, as parents, we will hit our knees and say, God, I can't fix them. I can't change their heart. God, I'm going to surrender them to you. When things aren't going great in our career, it's not unusual for us to say, God, listen, I can't fix this. I thought I would be here, but I didn't get that promotion. Now it looks like there's going to, God, I can't fix this. I can't handle this. I'm just going to surrender this to you. See, we will trust God with all of those things. But when it comes to our finances, it's the last thing that we're willing to surrender. In this series, I wanna see you surrender every area of your life to God, including your finances, and it's because, see, I know that you cannot follow God wholeheartedly until you surrender this area of your life also. Here's the second thing I want us to accomplish in this series. I want you to experience God's faithfulness in the realm of your personal finances. I want something to happen 
in the realm, the area, the arena of your personal finances where you go, there is a God, he answered my prayer, there is no other way to explain it. And to be honest, I'm not exactly sure why, but it seems like that happens more tangibly in the area of our finances than in any other area of our lives. And maybe it's because, as we've seen already, there's this inseparable link between our finances and our heart, right? Third, I want you to be free to do whatever God calls you to do. For example, God may lay on your heart that he wants you to start a nonprofit that's gonna impact people in our community. Or God may want you to go back to school because he wants you to change careers. Or maybe God comes along and he speaks to you and he wants you to go into full-time ministry. Or God may speak to you as a couple or an individual say, I want you to adopt this child, but you can't do the very thing that God wants you to do because your finances are so upside down. You have so much debt, your finances are such a mess. You see, I want you to be free so that when God moves in your life, you can move with him. Don't you want to be able to do that? You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for that 23 years ago when God began to move in our lives about moving here and starting Hope Community Church and basically starting life all over again with no income stream, we were in a position that we could do it. Don't you want that kind of freedom that if God begins to lead you, you can move? But I'm telling you, if you're upside down financially, you'll never be able to do that. Fourth, I just want you to know what it feels like to be financially secure. And I don't mean secure in the sense that you have a lot of money. You can have a little bit of money and feel secure. In fact, let me, let me tell you what security is. Listen to this verse from Proverbs 21, verse 20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. In the Hebrew, when it's written, it literally means there's extra. There is extra, it's precious. There's extra in the house of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Your translation, I think is better. It may say this, the foolish man devours all he has. Let me tell you something. We live in a culture that says, devour all you have and then borrow some so you'll have more to devour. See, I want you to experience the joy of having financial margin in your life. It's just, instead of just being that person that talks about here in Proverbs 21, 20, that just devours everything you have. You devour everything you make. I mean, can we just talk honestly for a second? Some of you, when you made $30,000 a year, you devoured every penny you had. And you know what you used to think when you made $30,000 a year? Wow. If I ever got to $50,000 a year, I'd be on easy street and I'd be generous and I would be in good shape financially. And you got to $50,000, you know what you did? You devoured everything you had. And you thought, wow, tough, it's tight. But if I could ever get to $100,000 a year, I'd be generous and I'd get my finances under control. And you know what you did? You got to $100,000 a year and you devoured it all. My guess is this, some of you, not unusual in this triangle area, some of you probably make as much as two hundred dollars to $250,000 a year, and you devour it all. And if I could be a flyer on your wall, I'd probably hear conversations like this, honey, I don't know where all the money is going, right? And the reality is this, you feel as much financial pressure now as you did when you made a lot less money. Well, let me ask you a question, why is that? Well, you're financially lost. 
It's not that you're not smart, you're smart, you're competent, but somehow when it comes to your finances, you just don't have good direction. Somehow you've lost your way. Here's my fifth goal. I want us to learn to be content. You see, this is what I believe. I believe if I said, you know what, God has given me a special dispensation of power. And I want to invite everybody who wants to experience contentment at all of our campuses. When I dismiss, if you would like to be content, if you would just stay, I am going to pray over you. And I can promise you, I can guarantee you this one-time offer, you will walk out of this campus, every campus this weekend, you will walk out content. In fact, you will be so content that when your neighbor drives up with their new Tesla or their new Porsche, are there new 900 SL, BL, MLs, whatever those things are now, right? You would look at that car and think, that is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life. But I don't even want one. Or when you're walking through the mall and there's stuff going, buy me, buy me. Your clothes are ugly, buy me. Your shoes look like something a pilgrim would wear, buy me. Your phone is outdated, buy me. You would say, ah, no thanks, I'm good, I'm fine. Let me ask you a question. If I could pray and that could happen in your life, would you stay for prayer? Some of you men, you would duct tape your whole family to the seat, right, right? Like you may not want to be content, but see, you want to make sure that the people you support are content with what they have. Why is that? It's because, see, every one of, every one of, if we're honest, and I'm going to commit a whole message to this, every one of us understands the dangers of not being content. But this is what you've got to understand. We live in a country, and just so you know, this is not true all over the world. This is not true all over the, we live in a country that is fueled by discontentment. I mean, let's be honest, that's what you learned to do when you majored in marketing. I mean, you're basically taught, you know, marketing's about how do I make people discontent with what they have so that they will buy what I'm selling. And that's okay. I mean, I'm fine with those of you who are in marketing. I would just like to be immune. See, I would just like to be content. And it's because understand, when we are financially lost, do you know, do you understand what drives our lostness? It's not that we're not smart. It's that we have allowed the discontentment that comes with our culture to infect us. They got a new car. Honey, we should get a new car. Wow, honey, they have 12-foot ceilings. We only have 11-foot ceilings. We need a new house. Have you seen their kitchen? We got to redo our kitchen. Hey, honey, did you... I looked in Will's driveway. He's got a new golf cart with bigger rims and bigger tires. We got to upgrade our golf cart, right? Nothing wrong to want stuff. Nothing wrong to upgrade your stuff. But God just doesn't want us to be driven by it. At some point in our life, he just wants us to be content. Now, here's the good news is you're going to see the Bible actually teaches us how to be content. So that's where we're gonna go over the next few weeks. Those are the goals in this series. Now, I'm gonna give you an assignment because if this is gonna work, there's gonna be some audience participation. You gotta understand that you cannot get unlost. You cannot get right side up financially until you understand, till you know 100% where your money is going. It is 
impossible. So I am going to actually give you a homework assignment. This is what I want you to do for the next seven weeks. I want you to track every penny you spend. Now, there are different ways that you can do this. If, if I were going to do it, say, Laura takes care of it in my house. If I were going to do it, I'm old school. I'd get some ledger paper and I would put expenses and different. And I would, when you get a $49 receipt or a $49 receipt, track it. See where your money is going. Maybe you have Quicken already on your computer. Uh, you can go to get, uh, uh, gethope.net and you can, and there, I mean, I'm sorry, to the Get Hope app. And right there, you can, there, we put something on there, especially for this series. Track your finances. You can use the app. There's actually a great uh, app that we use in our financial classes here at Hope. It's called Mint, M-I-N-T. You can find it. You can download it. But begin to track your finances. And this is important because you need to know where your money is going, because if you don't know where your money is going, you can't get unlost. It is impossible. I mean, seriously, how many times have you had this conversation? I just don't know where it all went. Well, let me ask you a question. Whose fault is it that you don't know where it all went? You're just not keeping track. And I'm telling you, if you will do this for seven weeks, you may be shocked at where all your money is going. I'm telling you, I guess it went, that should never be the opening of a sentence when it comes to your money. It comes in, you send it out. It comes in, you send it out. It is that simple. And again, I know that there are different personalities here this weekend. And I'll just tell you right, right from this is not the kind of thing that my personality leans toward. I bet you're shocked, aren't you, right? But this is the kind of thing that Laura's personality leans toward. And my point is this, for some of you to do this for seven weeks, it is going to require absolute sheer discipline. It is going to be torture. For some of you, you're weird. It's gonna be the most exciting thing you have done in a long time, right? But I realize that some of you are artsy, free-flowing, free-spirited, spirit-led, leftover hippies, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna to have to harness that. I mean, let's be honest, you don't pay your bills that way, you know. I bet you don't call Verizon and say, hey, yeah, Verizon, listen, I got this bill. I'm just not a once a month kind of person. You know, it's just not the way I roll. I, I, I would hope you'd just give me permission when the spirit's right and I'm feeling it just to pay my bill. And if you'll let me do that, I promise you, I'll even decorate the envelope when I send it in, put some flowers, maybe some butterflies on it. But it's just how God made me, right? Well, let me tell you something. That's fine. And it may be how God made you, but you're going to be doing whatever God made you to do without a cell phone. You just have to understand that going in, right? And my point is this. This doesn't come natural for all of us, but this, I'm just saying, this is just one of those things that is absolutely mandatory for anybody who wants to be financially responsible. It's, it's just mandatory for anyone who wants to get unlost. And it doesn't matter how much money you make. Laura and I, we do this. You know what, be honest with you, we're at a stage in our life where we have lots of margin. But this is important because when you know where your money goes, this is what happens. You take all the guesswork out of it. Now let me just close by saying this. In the financial area of your life, the opposite of lost is not found. The opposite of lost is discovering where you are so you can get to where you want to be. 
And by the end of this series, I'm going to help you understand biblically where it is that you want to be. But you got to start so you can understand how to get to where you want to be. Because if you don't know where you are, you'll never get traction to start moving to where you want to be. This exercise over the next seven weeks, it's going to help you discover where you are. And let me just say this. This is not a financial exercise. This is a spiritual exercise. Because again, you cannot wholeheartedly follow Jesus if you are lost financially. And you cannot get unlost until you know where you are. So you can begin to make the corrections to move to where you want to be. Seven weeks. I'm telling you, it is the first step toward financial freedom. And I guarantee you this. If you do this for seven weeks, you will never, ever regret it. So just start. Now next week, we're going to get a 30,000 foot view when we talk about our personal finances. And we're going to talk about, so how does God view money? And I know what some of you are thinking. He just wants it. That's not true. If he wanted it, he'd take it. So the government does. God's bigger than the government. So just get that out of your system. But if you were to come to me and say, I got a marriage problem, the first thing we would have to do is determine was how does God view marriage? If you're having problem in the realm of your parenting, we would think, well, what does the Bible have to say? Well, how does God view parenting, right? And here's the reason why. When we understand how God sees things, we're more likely to do as God says. So next week, we're gonna get a 30,000 foot view and we're gonna ask ourselves, how does God view our money? And it will give us a step toward how maybe we should view our money. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your unconditional love, your incredible generosity. We're reminded every day, those of us who are your followers, that you loved us so much that you gave. You gave. And we've often heard it said, give until it hurts, and then give until it stops. When I think of you giving us your son, you gave. You gave until it hurt, and then till it stopped. We thank you for that. Because of that, we can have this relationship with you. And Father, what you ask in return is for our whole heart. And in this series, may we get to that place where we'll be able to surrender to you, maybe an area of our life that we never have surrendered to you, but in doing so, find incredible freedom in you. In your name we pray, amen.